Tick-tock, tick-tock, thus goes the clock. Real time. We sleep in real time. We eat in real time. We work in real time. We play in real time. But what about our Christian faith? Do we live it out, really, in real time? Join us for the sermon series, Christianity in Real Time. Well, take your copy of the Word of God and uh, turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I would invite you to stand as we honor God uh, and the gift, the glorious gift of His inerrant, infallible, fully sufficient Word. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we desire to live the life before you that you have called us to live as your children. We do not desire to confess to be your children and then live as if we are not. We want to live in obedience to you. We live in a world that's dark and we want to be the light. We live in a culture that's collapsing all around us and we want to be the source of stability to show the way and to speak the truth. So help us as we walk together through what you have given us in the letter of James that is all about the context in which we live this life as Christian and then the contours of this life that we live as Christians. Grant, we pray, the gift of your Holy Spirit so that we will not read and receive these words as a moralistic legal code. And God, please deliver us from reading and receiving them as some kind of idealistic utopian treatise 
that is so ideal that it's not intended to be taken seriously as we live our lives in this world. Help us to hear the truth of your word in the light of the greatness of your grace and mercy to us as those who are forgiven sinners seeking to walk faithfully and as fully as we can in the way of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, James uh, takes us from chapter 1, verse 19, from the context of the Christian life. And you and I need to know the context in which we are called to live the Christian life to the contours of the Christian life. That is, what does this life that we call the Christian life really look like as we live it in the real world of real relationships, real struggles, real encounters, real jobs, uh, real experiences in life. Here is the context. Let us just be reminded that we live our lives in the midst of trials. We all have them. In the midst of temporal concerns, there are things in our world that make no sense to us. We can't explain them. We do not understand them. We can't comprehend them. And in the midst of that, we also face temptations. Trials, temptations, temporal concerns that all of us face and we wonder why they come and in the midst of them what we need is wisdom. It's what James tells us. God speaks through James and says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it to you. That wisdom comes from the knowledge of God through his word. Wisdom has a foundation and the foundation is knowledge, the knowledge of the word of God. And as we grow in the knowledge of the word of God, we grow in wisdom. Now, it would make sense, wouldn't it, that the more time and energy you invest in knowing God's word, the more wisdom you will receive. So if you are a young believer and you're just beginning to get into God's word, to read and study God's word so as to know who God is, then you wouldn't expect to have the kind of wisdom that a person who's been at it for 20 or 25 years would have. Now that's a general principle, a general rule. There are exceptions. There are people that are very, very young to whom God has chosen to give great knowledge of his word, and with the great knowledge of his word comes great wisdom. And there are people who've been professing Christians for many years who frankly have not spent a lot of time in the word of God who don't have a lot of wisdom even though they're advanced in years because they have no base for that wisdom because they've not spent enough time or an adequate amount of time in God's word. Wisdom comes from God through his word and we gain wisdom as we know God through his word and that becomes the foundation for living the Christian life. Now what James wants us to know beginning in verse 119 and this will be throughout the rest of the letter that the real issue for us as believers is not what we do but who we are. The real issue is the heart. Uh, you've heard this phrase before, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And the heart is not about feeling, it's not about emotion, it's about will. 
The heart in the Bible is that place from which we make decisions that determines the direction of our lives. So what James does here, beginning in verse 19, and we will look at verses 19 through 21 very quickly because they were our entire focus uh, last Sunday. He deals, first of all, the first thing he deals with is the heart in relationship to the tongue. Now, that must have been a major issue in the early church. Aren't you glad it's no longer an issue? We got that one fixed. Next step. It's still a major issue in the church. It will always be a major issue in the church so long as the church is populated by sinful people, which would be all of us in this room, who are seeking to love and serve God. It's a battle that we must fight, and it's a battle that we must fight every day of our lives. What James does here is three things. He issues a command. He gives us the consequences of failing to obey this command, and he calls us to war. Here's the command. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He deals here with anger primarily that comes out of our mouth as explosive, wrathful rage that is incessant and irrational. Now, all of us are capable of this kind of irrational, incessant rage. All of us. What James is addressing here is a pattern of behavior that is persistent. He's describing here a person who has this kind of acting out as a part of his personality, almost predictably so, through a period of days and weeks and months and years. But this issue is huge. Because the consequences of this pattern of behavior is given to us clearly in verse 20. The anger of man, the anger of humans does not produce the righteousness of God. You can write this down. If this is a pattern of behavior in your life that you cannot stop, the issue is your heart. You may say you're right with God, but that's not true. Because if you're truly right with God, you're fighting the sin with everything in you and you're asking God to deliver you from it. It's not enough to say, well, that's just who I am. I've always been this way. I was raised this way. I was raised in a home that raged. So was I. Douglas Moo writes these words, and I quote, emotions are the product of the entire person. And by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, the person can be transformed so as to bring our emotions in line with the Word of God and the will of God, God can change you entirely. And that's His intention when He comes into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have to be willing to go to war. Go to war against this kind of behavior, against this kind of heart, against this kind of aggressive speech. Verse 21 says, therefore, put away all filthiness. The word here has to do with profane, vulgar speech and rampant wickedness. It's extensive and intensive 
And the antidote is to receive, to open our hearts and lives to the power of the Word of God, which is able to save us, secure us, sanctify us, and make us more like Jesus. Are you and I willing to examine our speech? Are we willing to listen to what we say? Are we willing to ask a brother or sister, do you hear this kind of thing from me? Do you see this kind of thing in me? Will you be willing to challenge me here and call me to repentance? That's what we do for one another when we are brothers and sisters. We do not let this kind of activity continue and make light of it. This is a huge issue. James moves next to the heart and the ear. But, verse 22. Now he's going to come back to the heart and the tongue. He comes back to it over and over again. And he talks here about the heart and the ear, the hearing. And he's going to come back to that. He's weaving together here three themes that constitute the core of this whole letter. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Hearing the word of God, truly hearing the word of God, leads to implementing in our lives, in practice, what we are hearing. Uh, the word for hearing here is a is a word from which we get the concept of auditing. So somebody says to a teacher, I want to be in your class, but I want to audit your class. Now, you know what it means to audit a class? <laughs> I've had the privilege of doing adjunct teaching for a number of years, and, and I, I'm not a fan of somebody auditing my class. Because when somebody audits your class, what they're saying to you is, I want to take your class, but I don't want to do the work. I want to get the information, but I don't want to do the work to get a grade, because if I'm doing it for a grade, the grade might reflect that I didn't really do the work. I remember when we started Guido Bible College down in Metter, and we were talking one day in a faculty meeting about auditing, and I took a strong stance, nobody audits. I think the first person that wanted to audit a class was a member of this church. <laughs> and we had to make a decision. Do we let this person audit the class? Do we let them hear the information, receive the information, but not be examined on the information that they received? Uh, James says, don't, don't just hear the word, don't audit. It means nothing. It's empty. It's void. You've got to hear the word and you've got to do the word. Turn back to Jeremiah in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, chapter 9. We were here last week as well, but let's go back there because listen to what he says. Jeremiah 9 verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. 
Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that he hears me and knows who I am and gives himself to doing what he hears, that I am the Lord, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now let me give you the context. Jeremiah was called to preach the word of God to the most religious people up to that time in history. They were rigorous in going to church or attending the temple. They never missed. The offerings in the temple were way up because the people were rigid in their giving. They participated Sabbath after Sabbath in the rituals of worship, and their lifestyles were in conformity to the law of God. They were morally blameless. But they did not know God. And they did not obey God. The God they knew was the God they had created. It was the God they understood, the God they comprehended, the God they wanted... And Jeremiah was called to go preach to them. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 7. You will see why they killed Jeremiah. They absolutely said, we'll eliminate the preacher because he's preaching a message that doesn't conform to the message we want to hear. Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Now listen, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Uh, You like to hear the word of God. You like to listen to the word of God. You like to gather together under the word of God, but you are deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, Verse 23, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, I want you to get the picture here because in the background here is the the laver, the wash basin that was located just inside the tabernacle and the temple. So a person comes into the tabernacle of the temple, they're admitted by a priest, two priests, standing at the entrance to the temple, and they bring the animals to sacrifice on the altar. And the, the animal is slaughtered, the blood is spilt, and they have blood on their hands as they're offering this ram or this lamb or this goat or this 
pigeon or whatever it is they're offering, depending upon their economic status. And they're offering these animals on the altar. And as soon as they finish making their sacrifice, they go over to the wash basin. It's made of polished brass. It was a mirror. And as they're washing their hands, they're saying, I've offered the sacrifice to God and I have received the forgiveness of God and I am clean. And as they're washing, they're seeing themselves. They don't stay long (laughs) because they know that what they just did was a ritual and a routine that nothing has changed in here. Don't just hear the word. Do the word and what that requires, James tells us. Verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law. That's the word of God, the perfect law, the word of God, the law of liberty. That's the, perf- that's the word of God. Different ways of talking about scripture. You look into the Word of God, you stay in the Word of God, you stare at the Word of God, you hear what it says, and that Word brings you under conviction. Warren Wiersbe writes, The Word of God is given to us for examination, for restoration, and for God for what God is doing in your life and what he's teaching you? You ever been in a Sunday school class and listened to the word of God or in a worship time and listened to the word of God? And God speaks into your heart through his word. The word of God is a sword. It's like a spear reaching inside of us. It's like the best medicine you've ever had that heals us when we're wounded. It is the word of God that wounds us and heals us all at the same time, that convicts us and consoles us all at the same time, that calls us to repentance and brings renewal all at the same time. Only the Bible can do that. And a person who can hear, read, the Word of God and not sense any of those things going on is a person whose heart has gotten hard. And if that's you this morning, I want to say to you, God wants to break through all that hardness. God wants to break it and shatter it and bring by the power of the Holy Spirit the truth of God to your heart to change you. And to keep on changing you. William Varner says, The blessed one is he who does not forget what he has heard and will obey the word of God. The person condemned is he who does not allow the word to affect his doing." Something is wrong in a culture where people can go to church, bring their Bible with them, listen to the Word of God preach. Nothing happens in their hearts. 
I, I can understand that happening in a dull, dead, liberal church that's not preaching the Bible, but where the Bible is preached and taught. And the Spirit of God is present wherever the Bible is preached and taught. I simply cannot understand someone hearing the truth of God, professing to be a believer, has their Bible with them, goes home, closes their Bible, puts it wherever they'll put it so they'll know where it is the next time. Now, God's Word is to be received and it is to bring to our hearts that which will transform us. Blessed is the one who hears the word of God and does the word of God because when we hear the word of God, it leads to our obeying the word of God and it leads to active ministry to those who are in need. Now look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious, now the word religious here is an important word. It's not used here the way we use religion. Sometimes we use religion, most times in our culture, in a pejorative sense. Oh, they're, they're not Christians, but they're very religious. That's not how it's used here. This is, this is a word that means external actions as a result of internal change. External actions as a result of internal change. And he begins here with a warning. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, we're back at 119. This is this persistent pattern of incessant, wrathful, raging. And this person thinks he's religious, but he's not bridling his tongue. He deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. It's empty. Now, he may or she may do all these things that are outward expressions of religion, but they have no meaning because there is no internal change. This person's religion is worthless. All that we do begins with what God does inside of us. By the power of his spirit through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing us under the lordship of Jesus. And that leads to verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's an eternal change that the Word of God brings. We receive that eternal change when we hear the gospel and we respond to the gospel and we bring our lives under the lordship of Jesus. That begins an internal change. We, we, we're not stained by the world. We're not concerned about the ways of the world. The values of the world are not our values. We're not committed to what the world is committed to. And it expresses itself in the external change. We visit. The word visit here means to care for, to give oversight to. And in the world in which James was writing, the, the group of people that were considered the most needy could be categorized into these two groups, orphans and widows. Now, let me talk about this for just a few moments. Orphans and widows, the most needy, 
in the time of James in the context of the most needy in our time. If you go back to Acts chapter 6, we're not going to go back there, but if we go back to Acts chapter 6, what what you see is the early church faced a crisis in caring for the widows. There were Jewish widows who had become Christians. They spoke Hebrew. They were in the in group. (laughs) And they got their daily food. There was a daily distribution of food to the widows because if you lived in that time and were a widow and your family didn't take care of you, there was nothing for you. There was no social security system. Uh, There was no caregiving network. You were left to your own. And the synagogue stepped in and took care of their widows. And then the early church stepped in. But as the church began to embrace people other than Jewish people, they began to embrace Jewish people who spoke Greek. They had lived outside Jerusalem. They weren't from around here all their life. They were not known to everybody in town. They were outsiders and they got ignored. It created a crisis. Church came together. The apostles said, we've got to fix this. They elected what we know as the first deacons and their job was to make sure that equity of distribution was given to Greek-speaking widows and Jewish-speaking widows. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you know that anything that is good in terms of caregiving that comes from God given to the church, Satan will try to twist? Do you know that? So look what happens. Go to 1 Timothy. I want you to go here with me. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, because the church developed along the way through its leadership ministry to widows and to orphans. But it got complicated. It got contorted. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older woman, an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. You've got to know how to speak to these age groups in a way that will respect their age and honor their progress. Now look at verse 3. 1 Timothy 5 verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. What does that imply? It implied that there were women that were abusing the system. They weren't truly widows. They saw a good thing. And they wanted to exploit. They're giving food and money. They weren't truly widows. But if a widow, verse 4, has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing to the sight of God. This is a text I read often to Haley and Jonathan and my grandchildren. Don't forget it. She who is truly a widow 
left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. They're defining here, the church is defining, Paul is defining for the church, a true widow. She's a believer. She's in a local body of believers. She's seeking to be faithful to God. She has no support. But if she is self-indulgent, She is dead even while she lives. We're not responsible. The poor you always have with you, the primary responsibility of the church to those in need is for those who are a part of the family of faith known as First Baptist Church Waynesboro. We forget that. Paul is addressing this here. Command these things, verse 7, as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. He goes on and on and on so that they can define rightly who the widows really are. We are to care for orphans and widows. We are to care for those who are most in need. We are to care for those in our fellowship that we know who are hurting and need help. Now, this is hard for some churches because Paul says the first line of responsibility in caregiving is who? Where does it begin? It begins with your family. Your family has the responsibility to care for you. That's the first line of responsibility. There are places where family is not available. There are places where there is no family. And in those contexts, the care falls rightly and biblically and properly on the church to care for those most in need. Well, I know poor people who are in poverty who are not in the church anywhere. Please hear me. You know what we owe them first and foremost? The gospel. What do they need more than they need anything? They need Jesus. And we're to communicate the truth of Jesus to them. Now, there are times, of course, where in order to communicate the truth of Jesus, we might, if they're in a dire situation, they're starving to death, they have no clothes, they have no place to live. Yes, be the church. But when you're doing that church, you're not doing gospel ministry. You're doing the kind of ministry that's necessary to do in order to get to the gospel. Lindsay and Nikki at Waynesboro Care Pregnancy Center have to do all kinds of things with women, I promise you, to get them in a position where they will be open to hearing the gospel. But the goal is that they hear the gospel and that they be changed by the gospel that we care for those who are most vulnerable and most in need. Now I want to end today 
with a celebration. I hope it's a celebration for you and for me. It is for me. There's not much that, uh, there's not much that makes my blood pressure rise. But when somebody comes to me and says, our church is doing nothing for people in need, I go ballistic. Not outside, that would be unsouthern. That would be acting out in anger. But inside, my blood's boiling. It's just boiling. Let me just tick off some things, and I'll miss so many things. Just let me tick off a few. There was a group of ladies that showed up here Monday morning. They spent all morning preparing soup and cornbread for our people who are confined to home. And they delivered that soup and cornbread to those people. We had, uh, we have a group of women in this church that during COVID, all during COVID, for people that are older that don't need to be out, they've called these people every week and they've done their grocery shopping for them. That's incredible to me. I'm not going to do this, but I wonder how many of you even knew this was going on. And if you have to know what's going on, then it's not ministry. Ministry is what we do out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, compelling us to go and to serve. And the more we have to organize it and know what's happening, the less it is of God and the more it's of us. Back... Back before Christmas, one Saturday, our, some of our children's teachers and children got on, I don't know whether they got on the bus or whether they went in cars, but they went to some of our older people's homes and visited them. In some cases, they got out the blowers and blew off the driveway, not the kids. That would have been fun to see. One family in our church called me on Monday and said, you have no idea what just seeing children meant to me. During COVID, we've seen no children. Before Christmas, we had at least two groups of children at different times go out and, and go to our older people, people that are in need, people that belong to us. They're our brothers and sisters. We love them. And they went caroling. They encouraged them. We have at least two families, and I would pray we would have more over time, that are doing foster care and adoptive care. I read this week of a church, and I thought, I want to be that church. I really want to be that church. I think the church was in South Carolina where they went to the place they live and they asked the Department of Social Services what it would take to eliminate foster care need in their town, and they told them it would take 90 families. All 90 families came from this one church. And then there's respite care where, where the Stevens and the Browns are doing foster care, and there are times when they 
they, I'm sure, get weary. And there are some of us who are older who can say, hey, we'll, we'll take your kids for one night. I start counting a number of kids and I think, ooh, I'd have to pray about that one a lot. <laughs> I could go on and on. Where this church is saying to the widows and orphans, do we do enough? No. Can we do more? Yes. That will always be true. But we hear James. And we're giving ourselves to obey James. Take care of the widows and orphans. Let me mention one other thing and I'm done. If you had asked me even 15 years ago if I would be addressing what I'm about to address from the pulpit, I would have, I don't know how I would have responded. Because I would have thought it's so impossible. But I want to ask you how much you and I as a church family love our children. Do we love them enough to do whatever it takes to make sure that whenever they're here, whatever minister they're involved in, we can be sure they're safe? It's not enough anymore to say, well, we'll we've known them. I've known them all my life. They're, they're not going to harm anybody. You don't know anymore. Are we willing to take the steps that are necessary to make sure that beginning with Al Wright in this pulpit, that we do what's necessary to take the fences that protect our children while they're here and we raise them? Do you know five years ago, the place that predators went to find children to exploit were Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts when there was such thing as Girl Scouts? You know what those organizations did? They raised the fence. Recreation departments. You know what they did? They raised the fence. School systems. You know what they did? They raised the fence. The easiest place for a predator to come and access children in 2021 is a local church. And I want you to join me in saying to our children, we love you. I remember about 20 years ago, I was thinking about this this week. I remember about 20 years ago, we had a Wednesday night meal. We had a lot of people come for the Wednesday night meal, a lot of children. When the children were there, it was so beautiful. They were running everywhere. Drumstick in one hand, fork in the other, just going crazy. One of our members called me over to her table and she said, Preacher, will you tell these children to be quiet? I can't enjoy my meal. Well, we, I didn't say anything, but inside I said some things to her that I had to repent of. We dismissed the children that night. And before I started, I went 
over to her and I said, what do you hear? She said, it's quiet. I said, yes, ma'am, it's deathly quiet. This is what a church sounds like when you don't love your children. And let children be children. Father, deal with our hearts. And deal with our hearts so that we will know how to care and for whom to care. Knowing that our primary priority at First Baptist Church Waynesboro is not everybody in this community. It is those among us who are most in need. We want to give the gospel to everybody in this community. We want them to hear. We want them to hear so that they can respond to Jesus. But we want to care for those most in need. We want to care for our children because we know, we know what happens when churches don't care and things we never dreamed of happening happen. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.